all welcome to one more show this is dr mubin sayed with me professor dr paul marek you already know him we he has been here many times uh, so a rock star i think the kings of the kings is here so uh, professor dr paul marek welcome thank you king bean and it's always a pleasure to be with you you one of the smartest people that i know thank you so for new cool beans new audience tell us a little bit about yourself and then we would ask some questions about what's going on sure so i'm an intensivist uh, critical care medicine um i've been practicing for 35 years um i'm currently professor of medicine and uh, chief of pulmonary critical care here in virginia i'm also the medical director of the icu at centora hospital um so um those are my kind of credentials i published uh, you know four critical care textbooks over 500 um peer review journal articles and uh you know uh my interest is critical care and more recently covid you know we we developed the covid guidelines and we developed we formed the uh, frontline critical care consortium where we've you know provided um guidance on the treatment of covid through all the stages and i think most people know about the flcc and if they don't um you should go to our website where we have a lot of useful information very good thank you very much for the introduction so i'm going to dive right in in the current status so tell me this uh very recently we heard about a lawsuit we heard about centera hospital So how about we start from there that what is the latest in your management approach and in the pushback Yeah so you know basically I've been using a version of meth plus since the uh, pandemic began in April and you know meth plus has evolved with time as you know we've learned new medications and also delta is a very virulent virus it reaches very high concentrations and is profoundly pro inflammatory so we've we've had to you know adapt meth plus so more recently you know we've added fluvoxamine and we've added anti androgen therapy to our protocol just because corticosteroids themselves um do not seem effective and you see on the the table there you know we add dual antiandrogen therapy we add melatonin so we think these components are all really important um the standard of care or what the standard is in in the US and what our hospital is recommending is remdesivir uh, and as we know remdesivir does not improve patient outcome it increases length of stay it increases toxicity it increases renal failure it does not improve outcome in fact it was used for ebola and it had to be withdrawn because of an increased risk of death and toxicity so um basically what's happened is the hospital now has banned me using the components of meth plus uh which is ascorbic acid uh for somehow it's toxic although two recent randomized controlled trials have demonstrated its benefit I'm not allowed to use fluvoxamine and I'm not allowed to use antiandrogen therapy what they want me to use is remdesivir 
which as I said, is a toxic ineffective drug. They want me to use dexamethasone in low dose. So this is really unprecedented in the world because the doctor at the bedside is the one who decides on what's best for his or her patient. He takes responsibility for the patient. He understands the patient. He individualizes the patient. And, you know, that's the way I've been practicing medicine for 35 years. And no one has really told, interfered with me. And that's the way clinicians across the whole world practice medicine. We're not telling doctors how to practice. They're the ones that decide. They weigh up the evidence and they decide what they think is in their patient's best interests. So now the hospital is coming around and telling me what I can and cannot prescribe for COVID. Um, so, so this is completely outrageous. It goes against the very core of the patient clinician relationship. It goes against the very core of Hippocratic medicine because we have these people who have limited or no experience with COVID telling an experienced clinician how to practice medicine. So unfortunately, as you know, this is not just a local thing. This is becoming more widespread in the US and across the world. So I'm doing this obviously because I had no option and I'm doing this for doctors across across the world and in the US because you know we need to bring medicine back to doctors. Got it. Thank you very much. Um, can I show that letter that you had received from the sure. hospital? Yes. So this this was an email that Dr. Bundy sent to the entire healthcare system, but you can see it targets me. So basically they're telling us we can use remdesivir and we can use tocilizumab. Um, those are recommended, although as we know, they're ineffective. Um, if you can carry down, they go, you know, corticosteroids, you can use six milligrams of dexamethasone. Okay, go down further, a little bit further. And then this is, this is, there we go. You can just stop there. So this is the do not endorse section, which includes medications that may cause harm harm, and its efficacy safety is not supported in peer-reviewed published randomized controlled trials. And as we'll see, that is a complete lie. And these medications will not be verified or dispensed for prevention or treatment of COVID, ivermectin, bicalutamide, etoposide, fluvoxamine, dutasteride, and finasteride. And that these medications should only be used if patients are enrolled in a clinical trial. And then they go on to say ascorbic acid, is not endorsed for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 or sepsis or septic shock. So basically they tying my hands and preventing me from using these medications. So, I mean, you know, fluvoxamine is probably the best one to talk about. So, you know, they say it may cause harm and is not effective. It is not supported by peer reviewed published RCTs. So we know that's completely wrong. So there was the first, one of the earliest studies with, flu, with fluvoxamine published in JAMA. So that's Journal of the American Medical Association showing the benefit of fluvoxamine in patients with COVID. More recently, there was a large platform randomized controlled trial published in Lancet. I would assume most people would agree Lancet is one of the most prestigious peer-reviewed 
journals in the world. It was a randomized, double-blind platform, randomized controlled trial, again, demonstrating the benefit of fluvoxamine in patients with COVID-19, decreased hospitalization and death. More recently, there has been a randomized controlled trial done in ICU patients showing a marked reduction in mortality with fluvoxamine. We're not going to talk about ivermectin because, you know, I think this is not a scientific debate anymore. The science is clear. It's become a political issue. Uh, we know that ivermectin is effective. And just to add one thing, you know, ivermectin has been approved in 79 countries in the world for the use of ivermectin. The Tokyo Medical Association in August basically recommend the use of ivermectin for every patient with COVID in Japan. So somehow ivermectin is safe and effective in Japan, but in the US it's a toxic deworming medicine. And I wanted to make a comment, my apologies for the interjection. When we talk about science, isn't this in the very first place having somebody else interfering with the doctor in itself a breaking of the scientific methods? Absolutely. Because the doctor, you know, it's not like we're using experimental medicines. It's not like we're experimenting on patients. These are all FDA-approved drugs. And, you know, maybe it will come to that. You know, the drug is used, these drugs are used off-label. But what people may, may not recognize is 40% of drugs used in the ICU are off-label. And in fact, prior to COVID, the FDA promoted the use of off-label drug. So just to go through what an off-label drug is. So when a pharmaceutical company applies to the FDA for licensing, it's usually for a specific indication. And that's called the labeling of the drug. So if you read the package insert, it tells you what it's indicated for. And pharmaceutical companies can then only advertise for that specific indication. But many, many drugs are used off-label, which means you use it for an indication that's not on the labeling. Now, probably the best one is aspirin. So most people know what aspirin is. If you use aspirin to treat atrial fibrillation, that's an off-label use. It's done every single day throughout the entire world. It's off-label. Nobody has ever questioned the use of aspirin for atrial fibrillation. And there are many, many drugs that are used similarly. You know, amiodarone is a very common antiarrhythmic drug. It's used for ventricular arrhythmias. That's its indication. But it's been found to be very effective for atrial fibrillation. It's probably used more commonly for atrial fibrillation, but that's an off-label use. And it's clear, the, the legality is clear. Doctors can use off-label drugs using their best judgment. They do not need informed consent. In fact, getting informed consent would only confuse the patient because it would you know, increase their anxiety. Patients don't understand this. And it would be technically impossible to get consent for every off-label drug you use. So it's standard of care to use off-label drugs. So the drugs that I'm using are all FDA-approved. These are all FDA-approved 
drugs which are used off-label, which have been proven to be safe and effective for COVID. But my hospital does not want me to use it. They would rather I use remdesivir, which costs $3,000 and does not improve patient outcome. So you can see why this is an outrage. And I had no option. You know, I was in the ICU the week of uh, October the 25th after this um, awful imposition. And I had patients who had deteriorated on the floor. So obviously they had got remdesivir and dexamethasone and they hadn't responded. And obviously, as we know, doing the same thing once a treatment fails is idiotic. You have to change the treatment. So, you know, I needed to escalate the therapy and add additional medications and I was prohibited from doing so. And I had to watch as my patients died without being able to give them the fluvoxamine, IV ascorbic acid, and anti-androgen therapy, as well as other therapies that I would have liked to add. Um, so, you know, it's an outrage. So tell me this. So I'm just thinking aloud at this time. I'm sitting with my patient and I'm treating them and a third person comes in and says, here is a letter you would only treat with what I've written in this letter. Then do you really need me? Can we not just have anyone sit here and, and execute the protocols? Then why are doctors really needed? Absolutely. I mean, you asked such a good question. And the answer is every single patient is different. You know, I've never had two patients the same. That's why you need a doctor at the bedside who examines the patient, evaluates the patient, looks at the patient's labs, and decides what's best for the patient. You cannot treat patients by protocols. It just doesn't work. That's not how medicine works. Otherwise, as you say, it would be simple. You wouldn't need a doctor. We would just have you know, patients put in their... their symptoms and the computer tell them what medicines to take. Very interesting. So tell me this, and just a side note, I was also sent a letter very similar to this by some of the agencies working with me, and they also just made up accusations, such ridiculous, laughable accusation, made up, that you look at them and you say, this is not even medicine, and this is incorrect medicine that they're saying. It is a very similar thing I'm seeing over here that first, they should not have interfered. If they have interfered, which basically is the first thing is wrong, then they are putting together something that in itself is wrong as well. This, I do not know how you take it. It makes my blood boil sometimes when I think about these things happening to you, happening to me and to many others. Uh, I want to ask you this. Yeah, so you know what is what's your... most... Sorry to interrupt you, my friend. So, you know, what's most upsetting is that they could have spoken to me. You know, they could have been adults and say, hey, you know, why are you using these medicines? Let's talk about it. Let's find some common ground. But no, they, they couldn't be adults. They had to send this childish, threatening, you know, email, which was really, I mean, directed at me personally, um, which just gives you an example of, how completely upside down our world has become. 
me, it is, I mean, you're, you're being very polite to them that they are not being adults. When I received this, so I received a similar letter in which, number one, they said, we're going to cancel you. And number two, the acquisitions that they had made were all incorrect. And I knew that they actually wanted to target something else in my content, but they were not rising up to name that thing. And they were just picking up incorrect things in other places. And while they're doing it, they were they were wrong. And I was thinking, they don't even have the courage to come to me and say, we don't want you to do this. And then we can have a discussion to do that or not. Instead, they are just making up false things and then sending them to me. It seems very similar practice here as well. Yes, I, no, I, I agree with you. It's completely lack of courage. It's rude. It's offensive. It's immoral. And, you know, that's not the way adults behave. Professionals, you know, professionals shouldn't behave like this. So then what is your discourse? What is your way to say, I want to practice medicine. That's what my expertise is. I'm going to help my patients. I should be allowed to help my patients. How, how are you managing yes, that? Uh, yeah, I had no option. You know, they be, my hands were tied because it seemed this was non-negotiable. They didn't speak with me. I was not getting help from anybody else. I, I did get legal advice before I was in the ICU and the, the very smart way I said, there's really nothing you can do. Go to work, just document what happens and then see what happens. And I did that and it was an absolute horrific experience. Horrific because I was not, in the first time in 35 years, I wasn't allowed to doctor. I had to stand by helplessly as patients could not get the treatment that they deserved. Now, whether I could have saved all of them, I don't know, but at least I would have done my darndest to do so. I think that's what doctors do, you know, particularly in critically ill people who die. You do every single thing possible to save your patient's life. I think that's what doctors do. And I was prohibited from doing that. And at the end of the week, I was, you know, it's very tiring looking after COVID patients. At the end of the week, I was absolutely emotionally and physically completely overwhelmed and um, really got no support. So I, I, the options were to quit or to file a lawsuit against these people. Fortunately, I was able to find some very supportive lawyers who were as equally outraged by this um, prohibition as me. And they've obviously helped me put together this lawsuit. So, you know, it will be in the judge's hands tomorrow. The hospital has tried to have the case dismissed on really frivolous grounds, um, which I suppose is typical. They don't want to take responsibility so that they try to get the case thrown out on um, really techni technicalities, which didn't really work. So, you know, we're going to got to go to court tomorrow and we'll see and you know whatever the outcome is at least i know i've done what i had to do you know i couldn't stand by idly watching this terrible charade carry on um i had no option so good luck to you and let the medical practice win and not the protocols sometimes i used to think that protocols are actually reducing the capability and the skills of a doctor because they don't have to think more and they can just pick up a paper and say, this paper said, 
do this, do this. Yes, no, I'm going to do this. And that's it. And my, my job is done and my liability is gone. But where are those thinking doctors who look at symptoms, signs, labs, and then make up their mind to say, this is what is happening in terms of me mechanical things or chemical things or electrical things. And this is what I was taught, ton of medicines and procedures and methods, and I'm going to use them to try to help. What happened to that? Yeah, so, you know, we obviously trained in a very similar kind of environment. I mean, you know, my teachers were the most, you know, astute, profound intellectual clinicians that I've ever come across. And, you know, we would examine patients, we would talk to patients, we would, you know, we would, we would be clinicians at the bedside. You know, that's what, the way I was trained. You know, we didn't do multiple choice exams. We did clinical exams because that's how they tuned our clinical skills. It seems that, you know, being a bedside clinician is, is becoming something which is, I'm a dinosaur, it's extinct. It seems like patients come into hospital, they go through what we call the diagnostic donut, which is the CAT scan, without even getting a history. What's wrong with you? It could be my big toe. No, they go through a CAT scan and they don't talk to patients and they, they don't examine patients. It's worse than veterinary medicine. And that's the way medicine is being practiced. Whereas, you know, the, the art of medicine is as important as the science. And you have to blend the art and the science together. That's what makes a really good clinician. You have to have both. And, you know, I'm very fearful about the future of medicine, you know, because, and this is an example how, you know, faceless bureaucrats and, and, and inexperienced people are telling, you know, I've been doing critical care for 35 years. They're telling me how to practice medicine. It's awful. Maybe. Absolutely. And now I'm just going to have a little levity. Maybe in the future, there would just be some call centers. You call into them and say, the patient, this machine diagnosed my patient with this. Now we have fed you all the protocols, like scripts in the call center. Please read the protocol out to us so we can just administer that to the patient. That is how degraded, again, call centers are not degrading. The practice of medicine, that is how it is degrading, that it looks like the need for thinking is being re removed and just scripted. And then even the script is not coming from someone who, who is skilled enough and eligible to give a script to say, I can tell you, just like you have math plus protocol, it is coming from some thinking. It is coming from a doctor instead of these places. So tell me this. So, you know, you raise a really interesting question because, you know, I do rounds with students and residents and I say to them, the problem with you is you don't think, you know, you spoon fed and you don't think, and I'm going to make you think. So I ask them questions to make them think, you know, let them use their brain. I think the brain is the least used organ in the body because students don't use it. They spoon fed. And if you ask them to think, they can't think. But that's the way I was taught. You know, my teachers would ask me a question and ask me to think about something. You know, why is this happening? Why is the blood pressure low? Why is the gallbladder doing what it's doing? Why? Why? Think about it. 
And these students can't think. It's they've lost the human ability to think. And uh, one of the biggest compliment I used to get for my lectures, which they're trying to cancel at this time, used to be from doctors, nurses, NPs, PAs, medical students, that what we learn from you is the mechanism itself. And that makes us thinking. We become thinking clinicians instead of cramming a set of recipe for a disease and just going and trying to execute on that. that yeah, so, you know, much- you know, your drawings are, are, are phenomenal. And, you know, if you understand the pathophysiology, if you understand the physiology, you know how to treat the disease, but you've got to understand the physiology. Why is it happening? And, you know, COVID is a really good example is that people don't, you have to understand the disease to treat the disease. You have to understand it. You have to understand the pathophysiology. You have to understand the pathology. Once you understand that, then you can understand how to treat the patients, but you have to understand the underlying mechanisms. It's just so fundamental. And, you know, people do not understand COVID. You know, we're 18 months into this pandemic, and it's truly astonishing. Most people don't understand the disease. And, you know, what you do is just delightful because you make you make it simple. You make, you know, I think a good teacher is someone who can make a difficult subject quite simple. A bad teacher who is someone who takes a simple subject and makes it so complicated, no one understands so you want to translate it into a way people understand, and you do such a wonderful job. You know, I watched your recently your video on on curcumin because I think it has a role in, in COVID. It was excellent. It's brilliant, and you know, I learned something. And I think it's a tragedy what's happening in our world because you know things are being turned upside down. And you're and just to. Just you're a brilliant to teacher. You're a brilliant teacher, and it Thank breaks you. my Thank heart you. what they're doing. Thank you. Do, do you know that this is one of the objections, that your teaching is so simple that it is not even for nurses? They used nurses as if nurses don't need to understand or they understand differently. And they said it is definitely not for doctors. And I do not know where to take my distaste of such language and tell them how wrong they are. So simplifying the the concepts so they can become recallable and sticky and easy to understand and easy to think about, they used that to insult the whole medical community. This was just, anyways, it's not about me at this time. So tell me this, are you uh, comfortable a few more minutes if we can take some questions? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to go in here. So Cool Beans, if you have any questions, please write them down. And I'm just going to quickly. So tell me this. One question from me while we are uh, getting questions from the uh, Cool Beans here. In light of what is happening, is this, is your own career at stake as well? Yes, I think so. You know, obviously, I put my neck out and haven't got a tremendous amount of support. But you know what? Sometimes in life, you just have to do what you have to do. I had a ethical and moral um, dilemma, and I had no option. Fortunately, I'm nearing the end of my career, and you know, so I can take up 
washing cars or cutting the grass. So um, I will join you as well because they're trying to cancel me as well. So, you know, there are some other options, but sure, sure, certainly I'm going into this. I knew this could be a career ending endeavor, but you know what? Somebody has to stand up and do the right thing. And, you know, Ignac Semmelweis is my hero because, you know, he, he made, you know, enormous advances in our understanding of medicine. He was treated as an outcast. And only after his death did they recognize how brilliant he was. So, you know, it's just supposed part of life. I just have to do this. I had no option. I think I should, I should sue them as well. So I have a few questions here. This is the most commonly asked question here. Paul T says, where can you donate dollars to the lawsuit? Yes. Now, you know, we're very grateful for people who help us in this endeavor. So you can go to flccc.net, flccc.net. So this is a non-for-profit organization that, you know, helps us do what we do. And, you know, every single dollar counts. And we appreciate, you know, every, everyone who, who donates because, you know, we are a very small group. Uh, we use the money wisely. And we obviously, you know, fighting some very, very, you know, uh, influential people, but we have to do what we have to do. Got it. Thank you very much. Um, so there's a question uh, and totally up to you to answer the relevant questions or uh, pass on the, the drug nitazoxanide from the FSCC protocol is an antibiotic, an antiviral antibiotic. Does it kill off the good bacteria in the gut like others? So it looks like a slightly different. Uh, yeah, that's thing. fine. I can try answer that. So, I mean, it is a good question. I mean, it's much like ivermectin. The two drugs actually are very similar. They're both antiparasitic drugs that have antiviral activity and anti-inflammatory activity. They do work differently the mechanism of action. As far as we know, that does not, neither drug actually interferes. And in fact, the opposite is true. We have some data from Dr. Sabine, who actually shows that um, ivermectin actually increases bifidobacteria. And bifidobacteria is one of the really good bacteria that gets depleted with COVID. So um, in terms of nitazoxanide, I don't know. I would imagine it wouldn't alter much the the microbiome um, because of its mode of action, but without question, uh, ivermectin is very good actually for the microbiome. Got it. Thank you. A few comments. So one for best Dr. Green, you're both such excellent examples of living your therma. Thank you very much. Um, Countersuit Inc. I think I, I'll I have a suit uh, that I should do as well. Uh, okay to let go says no retiring. Nandi <laughs> uh, <laughs> says integrity. Uh, Ninja says you save lives. I have proof today. Um, so if I continue, uh, Linda says we are grateful for your life. Um, so let me just quickly see. So, you know, if people want to do this and, you know, this is on their own accord, you can send an email to Centauro. They have an ethics, this is hmm. bizarre, they have an ethics email address called Centauro. 
ethics, Centauro ethics at ethics.com. Um, yes, there we go. It's kind of bizarre because what they're doing is completely unethical. But, you know, if you want to, you can, on your own accord, just email them and tell them, you know what, what they're doing is profoundly unethical. Got it. Thank you. Next question is, what do you say about monocyte carrying S1 protein nine months after COVID vaccination? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question, and this is based on Dr. Patterson's work. And uh, you're right. This is why the spike protein is, is, is a bad player. And, you know, what he's discovered in post-COVID patients is that they have activated monocytes, which carry the S1 protein and which activates the, the monocyte. Um, it's very troubling. Um, you know, COVID's a really bad player. And, you know, we need to do everything we can not to get COVID and to stop it in its tracks because spike is really bad. And um, it seems like this um, this virus is just mutating. Maybe, you know, pressure from whatever reason is causing this virus to mutate in a form that is more infective, less susceptible to, to um, neutralizing antibodies. So, you know, this is a major, major issue. And I think I, I'm not optimistic, I must tell you. I, I don't know where we're heading. But this is really, we're not in a good place. And I think this pandemic has been grossly mismanaged by, you know, federal and local um, agencies. I think it's awful. And if I can, if I can add to that, I think not I only think grossly not mismanaged, mismanaged, I think it is still continuing to be mismanaged. We haven't learned our lessons. Yes, you know, you, you're absolutely true. We, you know, we're 18 months into this pandemic, or near two years, and people just don't understand the disease, um, and we haven't learned. And Dr. Fauci is a bad player. He's telling people how to manage this disease. He's never treated a COVID patient, and he has profound conflicts of interest. So, you know, the major, F, you know, the FDA, the CDC, NIH have failed miserably. This question, which I have seen in various ways here and there on Twitter as well, does Sentara believe that Dr. Merrick is anti-vaccination or this all about ivermectin? We know that Dr. Mobin Sayed is not against vaccination, yet he is targeted due to his associations. So, yeah, so that's a good question. So I have been vaccinated and I have been accused of being anti-vaccination. I've been accused, which is false. False. I've been accused of encouraging our nurses and residents not to be vaccinated, which is false. I've always said this is a personal decision. I don't tell people whether they should be vaccinated or not. In fact, we had a fellow whose career was in jeopardy. If he didn't get vaccinated, he would have been booted out. And I encouraged him to be vaccinated. So they may think that I think they do think I'm anti-vaccination, but that's false. And this is just not about ivermectin. You know, ivermectin was banned by this institution last year. So this is even beyond ivermectin and beyond anti-vaccination. But the, the, the question is right. Basically, I'm being labeled as an anti-vaccination person. 
And obviously that's uh, grotesque. I mean, being anti-vaccination puts you in you some kind of a monster. Um, and that's the category that they're trying to lump me into. And I'm, I believe in the First Amendment. I think people have the right to decide for themselves. We should be able to talk about stuff. We should be able to communicate. We shouldn't be censoring everybody. And I think you can't force people into something they just don't want. That's what, that's what um, they did in Nazi Germany. And we should have learned from that. Thank you. Kara says, in addition to financial su support, how can we help you to stay with us? We need you and your leadership now more than ever. Heartfelt thanks. Yeah, so, you know, obviously what keeps me going is people like Kara who give us encouragement because, you know, there are some good people out there. And, you know, that 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 is very encouraging. So, you know, um, you know I, I'm very grateful to all the people out there you know, just show your support. You know, you can donate to us. You can send us emails. You can send emails to that awful place. Tell them what they're doing is wrong. And, you know, tell other people because I think, you know, this needs to be a ground movement because I think people people in the U.S. need to know what's happening. You know, I don't think they realize ah, all the bad things that are happening. And there's a lot of badness going on. And Americans are not being told the truth. In fact, Earth people, as we're all in the same boat, Earthlings, we're all Earthlings. You know, we're not being told the truth. And I think that's the biggest failure. You know, you need to tell the truth. Be truthful. If you tell the truth, that's the best path forward. And we're being lied to. Um, and Absolutely. So I, think, I think we need to group together. We need to be a voice together. We need to object together and we need to stand together. And I think the more people that know about this badness, the better it is. Totally agreed. And I think this is an important thing because what they're doing is they're lumping people in various things and then they are bringing them down one by one. For example, you uh, for the cool beans, Dr. Marek and I was talking and I was showing him a document of accusations on me, which were, I was Googling him the concepts. I, I know that he already knows them. And I was showing that how inaccurate the accusations were. And then the folks who made those inaccurate accusations are now trying to shut down the business. And Dr. Marek said, why have you not sued them? And I have not thought about suing them. I do not have enough resources at this time to go after them and sue them. This is These are bigger forces at play. But they are able to get people down one by one. And I think, thank you very much for at least going back, swinging them back. And thank you for everyone who's helping Dr. Marek. I think at some point this has to be stopped, what is happening. It has just become too easy for these folks to just go knocking things down. Um, so Sorin says, could you tell us some more, some consideration regarding mass cell activation in COVID? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, so for people who may be interested, we actually wrote a paper on the scoping review on the pathophysiology of COVID, which is a very complicated disease. You know, I, I must confess, I think it's the most complicated disease that we've ever encountered. And every day we learn something new and important. 
So I think that the macrophage, the monocyte macrophages are the most important cells that become activated. But there is data that mast cells too get activated directly and indirectly by the virus. So it's very difficult to tease out how much is due to the macrophage and how much is due to mast cells. So, you know, we're still, we're still working forward on that. But I think, you know, we recommend that you treat both. You know, treat, you know, so that's why famotidine is a good drug because it's an antihistamine and it, it, it may have some antiviral properties and anti-inflammatory. So particularly in our um, long COVID, we do recommend the use of antihistamines because um, we don't know. You know, I think we don't, there's a lot we don't know. And I think we need to admit that we don't know. And when you don't know, you try different stuff. Got it. So one last question. I know that you are, uh, you have a time frame as well. So we are at that time. One last question and then we can uh, stop. So Buzz Nightgear says, do you think most of the government policymakers have a monetary benefit for pushing vaccines and keeping real repurposed medicines on the people just again? Yes, my dear Buzz Knight, you, you've you've hit you've hit the the jackpot. I think that is what's behind this all is that this is really a war on repurposed drugs because nobody makes any money from repurposed drugs, and what they want to do is sell vaccines and expensive designer drugs. That's what this is all about. I have no question. This is not about ivermectin or Dr. Mobin or myself. This is a war on repurposed drugs by Big Pharma and their collaborators. And many people in th these agencies have profound financial ties to Big Pharma. And I, I think it's absolutely clear. So, you know, we're going to see these new antivirals by Merck and Pfizer. I can tell you they're going to cost $800, $1,000, compared to 2 or $3 for ivermectin, which is just as effective. So this is all about money and profiteering. It has nothing to do with humanity or saving lives. One last question. <laughs> Apologies. This is it. Dr. Corey has said that at the Florida summit that patients should have a doctor administer the first and second line treatment for IMAS+, plus. any suggestion for finding a local doctor? Yes, Tom. So, you know, the, this is the problem and hopefully we, we're trying to change. This is what our lawsuit is about. There are lots of doctors who are scared. They're scared about prescribing these drugs, which doesn't make sense because, as I said to you, that it's perfectly legal. The ne, 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 Nebraska Attorney General has come out and said it's perfectly fine for doctors and pharmacies to dispense ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. It's illegal not to. So I think that there are doctors who are fearful. And so I think you need to find a doctor who cares and is prepared to do the right thing. And if they aren't, you've got to find another doctor. It's hopefully the tide will change and that you know more doctors will be more enlightened and realized how they've been lied to, which they have been lied to by the agencies. Got it. So thank you very much. I'm going to give you the last word as well. So 
what is your message before we close? And thank you so much for being here. Cool Beans, thank you very much for being here as well. We will not have a session in the evening because this would be the session, the highlight for the day. And tomorrow is my off. I'll see you day after. Uh, Dr. Marek. Yeah, please. so, yeah, thanks. Thanks, my friend Mo. So basically, what, what I want to say to anyone, th this lawsuit is not about ivermectin or Math Plus. This is about the sacred patient physician relationship and that physicians should be allowed to do what physicians have been doing for decades is look after their patients to the best of their ability and once political and other forces intervene it has a really negative effect on patient outcomes and the whole patient physician relationship so that's why i'm doing this it's not about ivermectin it's about doing the right thing and hopefully we can, you know, this can be the start of a change in this country and across the world because I think doctors need to take medicine back. And I, I thank my friend Mobin and I thank all of you and, you know, please support us as much as you can. Thank you very much. So we are with you and uh, folks, flccc.net, if you would like to go there and donate and support and see Dr. Marek's work. Thank you very much for your work, Dr. Marek. Thank you very much for your time. Good luck to you. And we are with you. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Cool beans. Bye-bye. I'll see you day after tomorrow.